want Philly Philly? Yeah, let's do it. Swing of the mess, suck him out. The Philadelphia Phillies are 2008 World Champions of Baseball. Hello, and welcome into episode three of a Philly Sports Complex. Glad to be back with you, and I'm excited to dive into the world of Philly sports. I also hope you liked the new podcast intro as well. That, uh, that took me a little bit of time. I was working on it throughout, uh, throughout most of last week. I did incorporate it into the other two episodes as well, but this, in, in my opinion, is officially the first episode with a, with a theme song, and uh, I'm, re- I'm really glad the way it turned out. I tried to put all of my favorite calls just from just from sports games that I've witnessed and whatnot, um, ones that have stuck with me. And I, I included a good amount from the Phillies run as well, since those moments are still fresh in my memory and they were just, it was just still such an unbelievable run. I really don't have any idea when it comes to this editing and producing side of this podcast world. I'm definitely figuring it out and I'm learning as I go. Um, I found a good program that I'm working with and just slowly just learning all the different all the different tools and just ways of going about it. And uh, each episode, it's probably going to be getting better and better little by little. So just stick with me if you guys can. But anyway, back to all the important stuff surrounding the Philly sports world. We are now three series into the Phillies. (sighs) We're at a three and six record. Definitely not what we were expecting or hoping for from this team. We were really hoping to get off to a uh, strong start coming off that big World Series appearance run and adding Trey Turner and some other key pieces. And we're not there yet, but it's early in the season. I, I still just can't overreact to it. The Sixers have clinched the third seed in the playoffs, and they will match up against the Brooklyn Nets of all teams in the first round of the playoffs. And I know the first thing you might think of is getting excited to see Ben Simmons and how bad he's going to be in the playoffs like he normally is. But uh, we're not going to be getting Ben Simmons. Once again, he's shut down for the season. And uh, I have no idea what's going to happen with that man's career, but just... What a waste of talent, a waste of pure and true talent. The Eagles brought in a new defensive tackle, not that big of a signing, um, but they did bring in another depth piece, and he, he probably will play, play a role in this team throughout the season. And while the Flyers, they're, they're still playing hockey, I guess they're getting closer and closer to that end of the season, this, this just dreadful and forgettable season, which also means that playoff hockey is right around the corner, and I'm a huge playoff hockey fan. It's pretty much one of my favorite times of the year. And I'll, I'll be tuning in for almost every single game in that. I'm excited to see if the Bruins can keep this historic season going. And I'm not necessarily rooting for them, but I, I, I want to see how dominant they can be throughout these playoffs. And, and I think it'll be a good run. So for our first segment, let's start off with our not-so-red-hot Philadelphia Phillies. All right, so welcome to the first segment. Let's dive into some Phillies. You know, I really shouldn't be surprised about the start of, to this Philly season, coming off that World Series appearance, that National League pennant, bringing in Trey Turner and other free agents, our players exploding in the World Baseball Classic. The entire city was hyped up about this team. We, we weren't only expecting another playoff appearance, 
we seem to be pretty confident around the entire fan base and another National League pennant as well. I mean, why not? Just Like I said, look how much better we got over the offseason. Now, I went into this pretty drastically in the first episode, how devastating and underrated this Reese Hoskins injury truly was. He catches too much hate in this city, and large portions of the fan base assumed we could just slide in Hall and or, or just switch around the lineup, plug some pieces in, and not really miss a beat. And I mean, obviously, you can tell just by the start of the season that is that is absolutely not the case. Reese Hoskins was a was a huge guy in the lineup, not only in the lineup, but probably even bigger and mattered more in the in just the locker room itself. And he seems to be still around the team, but it's obviously just not going to be the same. And you really see in this lineup, sometimes you just need that Reese Hoskins to be plugged in there and get that big hit. And it, 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 it's a big hit to the lineup. And I'm not necessarily saying Reese is the main reason that this team is off to such a dreadful start to begin the season. Um, there's a considerable amount of different reasons as well. I just, I just really think that that's a big, big, big piece. So let's run through a uh, quick recap of this young season. I haven't been able to, I put out that podcast on opening day, so I haven't covered any of the games yet. The Phillies got switched by the Rangers down in Texas. And surprisingly enough, it's actually extending their losing streak to 12 games against the Rangers. I, I don't really know how that streak's even possible. That The first three and a half innings of the season were just unbelievable. I mean, basically exactly what I was dreaming of this entire offseason in spring training. Bowman hits a two-run homer in his first step out of the season. Then there's back-to-back triples from Brandon Marsh in the nine spot, turning it over to the Turner. Um, Boom hits a double in his next at bat, and then Marsh also doubles to bring him home. Aaron Nola was hitless through his first three innings, and then the bottom of the fourth happened. And knowing the bullpen combined to give up nine runs, and uh, the rest of the series, it was pretty much downhill from there. Wheeler had a pretty forgettable first start to his season, and the bullpen once again shit the bed. They ended up losing 16 to three, and they already used the position player in the second game of the year to pitch. So, once again. Not a great start. Bailey Falter actually had a pretty good start in that third game against the Rangers. Yes, they did lose, but I would say first time through the rotation, Bailey Falter seemed like the most solid pitcher. But we still still got swept by the Rangers. Sears against the Yankees wasn't as promising either, even though they did manage to walk away with their first win of the season. The first game was never close. Tom Walker had a rough debut in his Phillies uniform. Junior Marte had his, his second disastrous outing of the season, which actually led to him being sent down to the minors after the game. And with a quick thought about that, Junior Marte definitely has the stuff to be a very good bullpen pitcher, throws with a lot of velocity and has some selective pitches, but he looks, but he just lacks the control and consistency as of right now. So my dream is for him to go down to the minors, spend some time there, maybe recreate himself in the way Jose Alvarado did last year in the minor leagues when he got sent down just for a quick stint. He came back up and he proved to be a viable pitching option to the bullpen and the stats from before his minor league stint and afterwards are just completely night and day. And you can just remember how solid of a bullpen piece he was. So let's hope that he can spend some time down there. I would imagine he'd spend a little more time than Alvarado did last year down there. Um, but if he can get it together, I, I definitely imagine him getting called back up and hopefully they can in- instill some faith in him. And I definitely would not have guessed this at the start of the season that the first win would come with Matt Strom on the mound to start the game. But due to the injuries with Ranger Suarez and Andrew Painter throughout spring training, Strom, who is supposed to be our long reliever, was our fifth starter to start the season. And he pitched a pretty stellar game. And the offense had some bright spots as well with Kyle Schwarber uh, starting the game off with his first home run in the season. They never had a real shot against Garrett Cole in that third game of the series. Even though Aaron Nola really did have a nice bounce back performance, he pitched into the seventh inning. Um, 
But after the first two series, they were coming home with a one and five record. Now, the fan base was in absolute panic mode, which honestly, they have all right to be. I completely understand that. Even though it was such a dreadful start, I, I still found a ton of positives coming out of those first two series. The offense produced a ton of hits. In fact, they actually out hit their opponents in four of the six games. And for some reason, they just couldn't get their hits in bunches, though, and that's what hurt them. They were too far spread out, and they weren't coming through with runners on base. Alec Boehm looked like he has reached another level at the plate already, and all that talk about the added muscle over the offseason seemed to actually matter. You can actually just tell him just by watching the way he swings. It's just, it just seems like a different hitter out there. As some of the relief pitchers started to make multiple appearances, you could see them settling down more and gaining some confidence as well. Alvarado is off to a great start. Looks unhittable. Trey Turner looked exactly like we were expecting. Sure, he's not mashing home runs like he was in the WBC, but that's not what he was brought in for. He was hitting, he's been hitting triples, doubles, getting on base, and just stealing bags every time he's on there. You can see the potential of, uh, of this team with this guy leading off. Now, coming off that Yankees series loss, we learned Derek Hall sprained his thumb on the play when he tried stretching a single into a double and is now requiring surgery on the thumb, which is estimated to take a couple months of recovery. Just another hit to this offense that coming off the offseason, there were minimum que- minimal questions about it. Probably the biggest question being when was Bryce Harper going to be able to re-enter this lineup. Now, they started Cody Clemens for the first game at first, um, but since then, it really seems like Topper's going to ride with Alec Boehm as our first baseman, and I don't know how much more of third base he's going to be playing, but I guess we'll see. I can't imagine they're going to take him completely away from third. You don't want to just all of a sudden, after he was getting comfortable, just remove him from there and try starting him at first. I, I, don't, I don't see that happening. But once again, it's just an absolute mess, and it puts a lot of pressure on Rob Thompson to figure this lineup out and make it work. But he's the manager. He led us to a World Series last year, so let's see what he can do. The Phillies then welcomed in the Cincinnati Reds to Philadelphia and were able to take the first game of the series with Zach Wheeler on the mound and the game in which they raised the pennant, which was really cool because it was Bryce Harper and Reese Hoskins before the game raising the pennant flag. And you got a nice cheer, and it's it's just nice to see Reese not being able to play this year um, for the fans to give him that opportunity to show how much he meant to this team last year in that World Series run and, and how much we do love him. Wheeler seemed to be getting closer to his normal form. His velocity carried longer into the game than his first start, but he did earn a no decision. Nick Castellanos had a very good game snap in his 0-13 for streak with two doubles against his former team. And a quick note on that as well, Nick had a rough season last year, but when he played the Reds, his former team, he looked like his old self. In seven games last year, he batted 323 with two home runs. So as much as I want to say that maybe this was a game for Nick to turn the corner, I still need to see a lot more production and consistency. It was a 2-2 ball game in the bottom of the seventh when JT Romuto mashed first homer of the season with Trey Turner on base. Sosa came in the following inning for a pinch it, and he also got his first homer of the year, which capped the scoring for the game. Soto earned the win by pitching a scoreless seventh inning. Alvarado came on in the eighth and struck out the side. Two straight games for him doing that, actually, at that point. Kimball wrapped it up, picking a picking up his first save in a Phillies uniform. I'm still not fully sold on Kimbrell. I was excited when the team brought him in due to his long run of success in the league, but he seems to be a shell of his old self. He still has the smarts to be able to pitch and adapt to his body wearing down, but like I said, he just hasn't instilled really any faith in me with him being our closer yet. Game two against the Reds was a real pitcher's duel for the most part. The Phillies actually struck out 15 times throughout the game. It was, it was a pretty bad offensive day. Um, Falter had another successful outing. He gave up a home run the first, but after that, he didn't allow another run for the rest of his five-pitch outing. Through 10 and one-thirds innings pitched by Bailey Falter, he actually has an ERA just above 2.5. So 
he's looking pretty solid to start the season, and and that's definitely big for the rotation since the uh, since the aces are taking a little bit longer than him. It was two nothing going into the bottom of the ninth. Like I said, the the offense really struggled throughout the day, especially with all those strikeouts. But the ninth inning was absolutely crazy. It started off Castellanos walking. He advanced to second on a passed ball. Then he got the third on an Alec Bohm single. Then Nick is doing this crazy thing when he's on third base where he's almost walking halfway home and he tries to get in the pitcher's mind almost and stares him down, kind of makes some gestures over there, dances around a little bit. And at one point, it actually had the, the pitcher come off the mound and throw over or, and want to throw over to the third. Um, but the third baseman was so far away from the bag that Castellanos really has no fear of, of taking that big of a lead and just messing with the pitcher as much as he can. And the cool thing about that, too, was the, friends, the fans were going crazy over it, and you could tell Castellanos really enjoyed it. So I really liked seeing that. Brandon Marsh ended up coming in for a pitch-it single, which scored Nick Castellanos. And Mundo Sosa sacrificed fly Alec Bohm home. And then Brandon Marsh swiped second base while Stott was up to bat, and it was a perfectly timed steal. Stott hits a massive single that ends up scoring Marsh, and that's the first walk-off this season. Just an, it was a pretty insane win. Uh, the team was fired up. The fan base was fired up. And it was really cool to see them get excited about a win like that. Obviously, you're going to be excited with any kind of walk-off. But it was just nice to see that, especially at home. It was almost like a glimpse of the, of the run last year in the postseason. The series finale was a real good game. Tywin Walker had an okay outing. He pitched only four and two-thirds, but he had 105 pitches. It was a really, really weird day for him. I mean, he only gave up three hits, but he walked five batters. and. Had an absurd amount of batters. I think it was around eight batters he faced that they racked up a full count, a full count against them. So it, 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 it definitely wasn't the best start for him. Gregory Soto had a good outing, so he's paired together some good appearances since that first outing against the Rangers, which did not go well. Alvarado came in during the seventh. I do wonder if Rob maybe could have brought in Gregory Soto for another out or two in the seventh and then brought in Alvarado, so then Alvarado could have pitched the rest of the seventh leading into the eighth as well. But nonetheless, Alvarado was doing Alvarado things on the mound. For the third consecutive appearance, he struck out all three batters he's faced. He's now struck out 11 of the first 13 batters he has faced this year. It's, it's pretty incredible what he's doing, and I just think every time he gets out there, it's leading me more and more to believe that we truly have one of the top bullpen pieces on this team with Jose Alvarado. But in sp- instead of splitting up those innings between Soto and Alvarado, Craig Kimball ended up coming in the eighth inning, not in the closer's role, and he ended up giving a run to make it a 4-3 to three game. Now, instead of Kimball coming in for the save since he was in the eighth, Sir Anthony Dominguez came in for his first save opportunity, and it was an absolute forgettable performance. He would go on to walk two, he gave up two hits, and the Reds took the lead 6-4, to four, and the bottom of the ninth was a quiet one for the Phillies. They did win their first series of the year. They should have been able to sweep them, especially a team like the Reds. He faced one of their best pitchers in the second game, and you and you won. So you really should have been able to pull out this third game, and we would be four and five instead of three and six right now. Now, for anyone who's worried about the Phillies losing four four in a row right out of the gate as well, last season they had a losing streak of at least three games, thirteen times. And I mean, look what happened. They, they make the playoffs. Yes, they barely make the playoffs, but they made the playoffs and they had to run to the the World Series. So. Teams will go through losing streaks like this and slumps throughout the season. It just so happens to be this was at the start of the season, and it's a lot easier to freak out when you haven't seen your, to, your team do good at all. With Schwarber's cold start, as much as it sucks, it seems to be a normal trend for Kyle. From the start of last season up until his June explosion, he was actually hitting 185 with only 11 home runs, and we know how the rest of the season turned out. 
I know it sucks that he isn't starting off the season on a good note, but we have to be patient with him and only because we know how well he can produce. We're only nine games in at the time of this recording, so let's all relax. Bryce is looking way ahead of schedule. Our starters are going to settle down, and it already looked and they already looked better their second time around the rotation. Our offense is hidden, and it's just a matter of a time until it all comes together. They are making dumb mistakes on the base path, which is costing them runs, especially in these really close games. I think they might be trying a little too hard right now. So if they can just play smart baseball, get on base, stop making mistakes, it's it's truly going to come together. I really feel it. We have the Marlins and their defending Cy Young winner in Sandy Alcantara Monday night. And after the Marlins series, it's back to the Cincinnati Reds. So I'm definitely hoping for two more series wins in these next two opponents, possibly going four and two over those next couple series and hopefully sitting at seven and eight. So let's see if we can turn the ship around, gain some ground in the standings. I know it's early. Um, you can't make the playoffs in the beginning of the season, but you sure as hell can miss out on them in the beginning of the season. So I really hope this team takes some strides over these next few series and we'll see what happens. And now on to your number three seed, Philadelphia 76ers. Since the last episode, James Harden and Embiid have both come back from their minor injuries. Harden obviously missing more time than Embiid, but they finished out their season going 5-2, and two, finishing with a final record of 54-28, and 28, which is their most wins in a season since the 2001 season when Allen Iverson led them to the NBA Finals. Also, that's a record that would be good enough for the first seed in the Western Conference. They are the three seed heading into the playoffs, and will be facing the Brooklyn Nets. They had a really fun game against the Celtics last week at home, where Embiid scored over half the team points, dropping a stat line of 52 points, 13 rebounds, 6 assists, and 2 blocks. He also went 20 for 25 from the floor, and 12 for 13 from the free throw line. All the talk after the game was how Embiid solidified his campaign for the MVP award. Harden posted another 20-10 and 10 night, and even P.J. T- Tucker hit 3 huge threes towards the end of the game, which was a sight to see. And hopefully we can see more of that in the playoffs. I know the Celtics were without Jalen Brown, but this showed potentially just what this team could be capable of come playoff time. The way Embiid is playing, and with Harden distributing the ball so well, this team truly has a fighting chance against any team in the league. Now, a big argument against that statement, or maybe not even an argument, just more of a discussion about what they need to do better in the playoffs. Um, Besides Embiid and Harden, and those key threes from Tucker, the rest of the team needs to step up and play as a complete team. Starting with Maxi. Now, we know what Maxi is capable of. We have all seen it. I know he's young, and I know uh, Tobias Harris makes the most money on this team, but Maxi's pretty much our, our third weapon behind Joel Embiid and James Harden. In four games this season against the Celtics, Maxi is averaging only 10 points, shooting 35% from the floor and 21% from three. Now, yes, the Celtics are absolutely aware how dangerous Maxi can be, so for sure they play stingy defense on him. But with the talent he has, and the role that he plays for this team, he has to figure it out. He's too good, and he's too important for the success of this team. Now, once the team solidified their seed in, they began to rest the starters and important role players. They played a highly entertaining game against the Hawks Friday night that went into overtime. Jalen McDaniels and George Yang led the team in scoring with 24 points, and the 2021 first-round pick, Jaden Springer, saw 34 minutes of playing time with 19 points, and Sheik Milton racked up 16 assists. That was awesome to see. This was an important game for our key bench pieces to get some confidence heading into the playoffs. And in the season finale, once again rushing their top six players, they handled the Nets in a 134-105 victory. Three players had 20 points, and Paul Reed put up a stat line of 17 points, 10 rebounds in 27 minutes. Oh yeah, he also blocked five shots as well. So that was really good to see from him, 
going into the playoffs with him most likely as our lead backup center. So at the end of the season, the Sixers finished with the NBA leader in assists per game in James Harden and the NBA leader in points per game and the most likely first-time MVP winner, Joel Embiid. Joel finishes with 33.1 points per game, which is the eighth highest average in the three-point error of the NBA. That list includes names in the like of Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, James Harden, and George the Iceman Jervin. And oh yeah, Embiid did it in fewer shots than all of them. Let that one sink in. And it also seems like we're heading into these playoffs with a healthy team and no limitations holding Doc Rivers' squad back. According to NBA.com, the Sixers rank as the number three offense and the number eight offense. And since Harden's early return in December, the Sixers played as one of the top teams. They had the number one offense, but actually the 17th defense, the 17th rated defense. Now heading into these last couple postseasons, I felt like the offense let us down more than the actual defense did in the playoffs. So I'm excited to see what it looks like going into this, going into the playoffs with one of the, the top ranked offenses in the league and uh, see if we can do something different this year. So looking forward to this series against the Nets, I truly think the Sixers may have gotten one of the best opponents a team could ask for in the first round. The Brooklyn Nets were a team in absolute disarray for most of the season, losing several elite players in Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and due to a locker room just full of drama, having a waste of space in Ben Simmons who won't even be partaking in the damn playoffs. And I know for people that might not have known that Simmons was missing any time, when you see the Nets pop up, you're like, okay, like here comes a rematch against Ben, or not even a rematch, here comes a matchup against Ben Simmons. Let's see how he can do in the playoffs with just how much he shit the bed with us in the playoffs and how much he was a detriment to this team. But once again, Ben Simmons is shut down and won't even be making an appearance. I don't even know if he'll be on the sidelines. You wonder. On DraftKings Sportsbook, they have the Sixers listed as a minus 900 favorite to win the series, basically giving the Nets no shot. They also have the series going five games as a plus 195 favorite. So there's definitely not much money in betting for the Sixers to win the series itself. But I would say you can probably work up a good parlay picking out the favorites for most of the easy series throughout the league. I feel like with the NBA, there's not as many upsets or surprises like there might be in the NHL or the NFL. Now, hopefully that is the case and the Sixers can have an easy first round performance to set them up for a brutal series against Boston. I know we want to get out of the second round finally, and not only that, we want to make the fucking finals for once too. I mean, it's just been too long. I mean, when you have the best player in the world, that's usually what you expect, am I right? There's no reason to not expect that, especially with the way Embiid's playing this season. Besides the first round, the Sixers are going to have one extremely tough road to the finals. That's why it's so important to not mess around with the Nets and finish that series off ASAP. Most likely, they'll be facing the Celtics and Bucks after that, Actually, if the Sixers do continue their run and make the finals, there's a good chance that they would have already played their their toughest opponent coming out of the Eastern Conference bracket. Let's just hope those two series potentially looming with the Celtics and Bucks don't drain them of all their energy before the finals. But with this team not making it out of the second round since that 2001 season, maybe we should just look at one. Maybe we should just look at it one series at a time. I feel really good about this team, especially with the way Harden and Embiid work together, and then Maxi Harris and our key bench pieces as well. I still think we would like more consistent depth, but I also think that this may be our deepest team in recent years. Embiid and Harden are playing some of their best basketball in their entire career, and uh, I think it's going to be an extremely fun run, and I cannot wait for Saturday afternoon against the Brooklyn Nets. Play that song. And that concludes our two segments for the day. 
The Phillies are off to a start most of Philadelphia did not imagine, but the Sixers are just days away from the playoffs, and I cannot explain how damn excited I am for this playoff run. I'm ready to get out of this second run. It's going to happen. Embiid is too good. Harden is too good. Maxi is too good. This this team is going to make it out of the second round. I know it's going to be hard. You have the Celtics standing in their way. It's it's going to be a very, very tough road in these playoffs, besides this first round, which I'm expecting. But I really think we can do it. You have the best player in the fucking world in Joel Embiid. This has to happen. Now, I also mentioned in the opening segment how the Eagles brought in a new defensive tackle. The tackle they brought in is Contavious Street. Now, this isn't a massive addition to the defensive line, but it definitely bolsters the depth bolsters the depth of it. Street is 26 years old and is coming off a career year in snaps and had his highest total in sacks at three and a half. He's a former fourth round pick of the 49ers, but dealt with injuries to begin his career. So their top four defensive tackles now appear like this. Fletcher Cox, Jordan Davis, Contavious Street, and Milton Williams. I expect them to bolster the line in the draft and would be su- and I wouldn't be surprised if closer to the season, maybe even during training camp, they bring in a no-name or, or veteran in this league released by a team, and how he's hoping that they can somehow fit him in the rotation and he can provide solid playing time. I also went out to watch the UFC fights this past Saturday night with a few buddies, and I'm a huge Israel Adesanya fan, so I was pretty upset when he lost to Alex Pereira um, a couple months ago. So for him to come back in this one, and you know, for, for a second I really thought Pereira was going to win this one again and retain that belt, but he had Adesanya backed up in the second round. He had him backed up against the cage. Really looked like he was starting to unload on him, and I thought that was going to be the end of it. And I don't know how, but Adesanya just was able to get a couple punches in there, and he got one really good right over him, made Pareda stumble back, and he just dropped him after that. And I mean, as soon as the ref caught it, Adesanya's just stepping back, just ripping arrows into him, and it's just, I I love Adesanya so much. I know he's cringeworthy. Um, I know he can be over the top a lot of times, but he is just such a fun, fun fighter to watch. I know when he had the, his belt, he was getting a little little bit boring. He seemed like almost like he knew that he was going to win the fights. He knew that he was better than his opponents. So honestly, he was just fighting for the decision, and, and he would pretty much win them all the time. <clears throat> I hope we can get that exciting fighting style back from Adesanya. I mean, when he's at the top of his game and he's, and he's just having all-out brawls, it is, he's one of the most fun fighters to watch in the, in the UFC, in my opinion. Another thing I was doing too is I recently bought MLB The Show 23 and uh, I've been playing that a lot. I was playing my player and I've been doing franchise just messing around with the Phillies, but they actually have this really cool option to play in the Negro Leagues as well. And they have eight different athletes from the Negro Leagues and they have like eight or 10 episodes um, that you can play for each player. And what it does is it starts off two, like a one, two, three little minute intro, um, then them explaining this player. Um, where he is at this point of his career. And you you kind of play like all these different key moments throughout their career. And you get to go into the game and these old ballparks and you got the old teams, the old fashioned uniforms. And it's actually really cool. And you honestly learn a good amount from it that you probably really don't know. I mean, I know I know the big names, but there's some names in there I haven't heard of before and a lot of key moments that I, I didn't even know about. And it's it's really cool that they included it in this game. It's It plays a big, big role in the history of, of uh, Major League Baseball. And uh, it's kind it's kind of cool to uh, it's kind of cool to just mess around, learn, and and have some fun. It's a, it's a really fun game. It always is. So that just about wraps up episode three of a Philly Sports Complex. If you made it this far, I cannot thank you enough for tuning in and giving this podcast a chance. 
I know there are plenty of podcasts out there hosted by sports experts, athletes, and probably well more put together than this one. So thank you once again. It truly means a lot. We can only go up from here. Go Birds!